people find out that we have five kids and uh, people are shocked and amazed. No one's more shocked and amazed than me. <laughs> people ask me, why do you have five kids? It's because I don't want six. That's why we have. <laughs> I don't have five because um, five isn't, oh, we'll see. But uh, <laughs> God's will be done. But five, at least right now, is just a handful. And um, they're really close together in age, nine, six, five, three, and one-year-old. And they ask, wow, how do you guys have them so close together? Well, it's because a third one is uh, adopted through the L.A. County system. He came to us as Roger Leo Mao, uh, or actually it was Rogelio uh, Mao. And um, he was op- available for adoption, so we adopted him after several years. I'll just share with you a little bit about our story behind uh, uh, our involvement um, and how this came to be. Um, I think someone, I think uh, Stephanie Bacana shared as well how before they were even dating, they were talking about uh, foster and adoption, and that was my case with Surin and I as well. We were, while we were dating, I don't know why, um, I think I understand a little bit of what, what it's like to be adopted, because uh, if you know my story, when I was six months old, I was sent to Korea to be raised by my grandparents. When I was six years old, my parents came to get me, and then I saw my mom for the first time in LAX airport, and so I didn't know my parents until I was six. And I wasn't sure they were my parents. <laughs> I still, I'm still like, curious. I'm suspicious because uh, I don't know. You know. That was the joke they would tell once in a while that I, when, I, when I didn't obey or behave, behave well. So like for six years of my life, I was raised my grandparents. I met my, so I had to kind of adjust to them being my parents. And uh, with my mom, it was pretty fast, a few months. My dad took like 30 years. <laughs> I mean, really 30 years to... Bond. It was only after I, I got married, I was able to bond with my dad um, for many reasons. But so in, in a weird way, I, I can empathize. I can understand just the whole, that, that kind of experience. So uh, before we were even married, we talked about adoption and want to care for children. My wife saw, I think, a 2020 uh, uh, report on orphans in Romania and God broke her heart. Uh, after we were married, we saw a 60 Minutes report on these uh, adoption parties that these uh, uh, children, that the foster system hosts. They have these parties where they have all these kids who are available for adoption, not, not enough parents. They have these parties at playgrounds, and the parents come to interact with children and to consider adopting these kids. And these kids, they know that what well, they know the purpose of this event. And one kid was sharing how, like, all oh, the, you know, the blonde hair, blue-eyed kids go first. If you're a girl with blonde hair, you go first. If you're a boy with blonde hair, you go second. And if you're a two-year-old or you're a young black boy, you might, might as well not even try. So one boy was, you know, combing his hair and hoping he would, like, uh, meet his parents-to-be. Uh, so uh, seeing uh, stories like that broke our hearts. And uh, it's weird. I'm kind of like... Um, you know, I, I read a lot of books, and uh, it's, an, it's an amazing thing to me because, you know, I, I avoided books as much as possible growing up. In my high school years, I used to do homework during commercials, like, uh, <laughs> you know, during, during timeouts at Lakers games. That was my homework time, and uh, uh, that was my relationship with books, but now I'm reading a lot of books. Books minister to me, uh, sermons definitely, but in a curious way, like music and movies, Right? Um, I don't know. I, I, it resonates with me. I'm not proud of it. You know, I wish, like, 
you know, scholarship and academic tomes would move my heart, but like music and books, like they stay with me. And I, I remember seeing a movie called Antoine Fisher. Anyone? Anyone? Hands high. Uh, very good. So I, I saw the movie and then I read the book, so it's okay, right? I read the book too. <laughs> so saw the movie and read the book. And uh, the movie's fairly accurate to the book as well. And it's about the sto- story of this boy in Ohio who was in the foster system and how when you go to the foster system, he only has one picture of, of his childhood. And it's a blurry picture of him in the background. So you come out somewhat as an adult, as a hollow person because you don't have stories of your parents telling you or when you were five, when you were eight, when you were 12, your siblings telling you, oh, you were like this, you did this to me, you, you got in trouble in that way. You don't have uncles and aunts, you don't have pictures, you don't have all these memories. Oftentimes you just have like, just what, even what you had, you leave behind, you lose on the way. And you grow up as an adult with all these issues because you didn't, weren't raised in a stable, consistent environment. And it kind of tracks his life story and how it was so um, close to us. It wasn't about uh, Romania. It wasn't about Russia, orphans in Russia. It was about children you know, in the in, in United States, children in California who are in the foster system, want to be adopted, but they, uh, they, don't, they don't have families who will take them in. And that is the ultimate burden, right? You know, the care for orphans in their distress. What is the distress of orphans? They have a lot of sources of distress, adversity, challenges, but the chief distress is that they don't have parents to care for them, right? That's the main issue. They have 1,001 other issues, but the main issue is they don't have parents to um, care and, and nurture and help, and help raise them. So my wife and I, you know, we were, we were convicted by that. And then we were more convicted by how much it costs to adopt internationally, right? <laughs> I am Asian, you know. <laughs> I'm a poor pastor. So we looked at how much it costs to adopt internationally. And like, I don't have that money to raise our own kids. How am I going to, you know, use that money to get a kid? Once we get a kid, we can't raise that kid. Like, we're going to be all homeless together. So... Uh, <laughs> I did my math, that's not going to work. So we said, hey, you go to the system, and my goodness, like it's all free. I love that word, free. (laughs) When I see that word, it piques my interest. It's free. They pay for your training. They pay for all your classes, and uh, their kids here. And so whether their kids here or abroad, orphans are orphans, kids are kids. So we said, we'll go to the system here. And um, uh, I think Bob had gone through, our elder adopted internationally, and we went to the domestic route. And um, we got uh, certified in uh, November of 2000, I don't even remember when it was, 2003 or four or five. And uh, I'm bad with numbers and years, um, bad combination. So we were certified, and we were, through the training we found out there are 80,000 kids in California alone who are in the foster system. 80,000 kids, half a million kids in our country, like in our, in our it's the most prosperous country in the world. No, not anymore, maybe, but one of the most <laughs> prosperous. used to be the, you know, right? half a million kids in the foster system. And the reality is that if you're a two-year-old black boy, then you're in for life. You're in the system for your whole life because you're the most plentiful and you're the least wanted. And um, they asked us if we would be open to any race. And we said yes, any gender, any race. So we expected a, you know, a, a black boy to enter into our house and be our foster child and to adopt into our family. Well, you know, God, you know, I don't know, we opened uh, on December 20th, 2005, I believe it was. 
Um, we open the door, and there's this like eight-day-old Chinese, Hispanic, Caucasian, Filipino boy, right? All the good dancing genes. Uh, <laughs> I hate this boy. So, Surin can't dance, and I can't dance, but this boy's gonna dance for us. Uh, so, he, uh, he's, he's in our front door, and the caseworker comes in, and like, says this boy was born with meth in his system. His, his mom was a meth addict and a dealer. She was arrested with $300 worth of meth in, uh, in, in LA County. And because he was born with meth, she was uh, using while she was pregnant. And that's child abuse. The courts uh, removed him from her custody immediately. And they asked us if we would watch this boy, Rogelio Mao, uh, for one week and he'll be gone. One week. It's just an emergency. So in a foster system, there's many ways to serve and care for these foster kids. And we are open to emergency respite care. And they said, well, this is an emergency respite care situation. One week, you'll be gone. We said, sure, no problem. So I told Seren, you know, all the diaper changing tables, you know, all the wet wipes, all those things that parents know when you have a uh, newborn in your house. We said, don't take it out. Don't take out the small bathtub for babies. It's only one week. We just do it in the sink. Let's not, like, change our household because of this. A week became a month, month became three months, three months became six months, and we figured, let's take diaper changing table out, because uh, it's really a hassle doing it on my desk. Uh, he might be staying for a while, uh, you know, God's sovereign. And, um, and I, through this time, I told my wife, don't give him your heart. I don't give him your heart, because, you know, it's a, it's a short-term uh, situation. He's going to leave us, and you're going to be sad, so don't give him your heart. Now my wife is so rebellious. <laughs> you know, she's very submissive, very you know, loyal, loving. But in this one area, she, man, immediately she rebelled against me. You know, within a minute, she gave him her, her, her heart. And my, I mean, me too. How can you not give away your heart? That's part of the cost of, of getting, serving in this, in this. You know, it's, not, it's practical service, but you're caring for people. So you can't protect your heart. You can't not get hurt. That is the, the privilege of serving in this ministry. That is the joy, because it is through suffering we experience and know the heart of God, and we become more like Christ. If you want to become more like Christ without suffering, then it's impossible. That is not, that is some guy on TBN selling you something, right? That is a seminar, and you, you can, you know, that if you want to sell you something. That is not reality. To become like Christ requires objective truth, but also subjective suffering, and that is how we become, we grow in grace and become like Christ. And so uh, during this time where he's in our home and we visited, um, and Surin went to like so many drug rehabs. She's been to so, more drug rehabs uh, than we can count. Visiting uh, his mom, talking to her, gave her a Bible, gave her sermons and, and shared the gospel to her. And long story short, uh, after a huge roller coaster ride, you know, during this time, they told us that at any time, we could be taken from our, our home. For any and whatever reason, the judge decides that she, he should be taken to another home or reunited with his birth, birth mom. Uh, all they're required is a two-hour uh, um, warning. They'll call us, and within two hours, he could be removed from our house. So, I mean, just, it was a difficult time. The phone rang, and our hearts would drop. And it's like men wanting to play basketball. I'm like, <laughs> leave me alone, right? You know, like a roller coaster ride for, for a few years. And um, uh, you know, God made it a way. God opened doors. And uh, 
I think it was May of 2008, we went to L.A. County Courthouse, and we, were, we were, um, went through a whole judicial system, and the judge um, uh, signed the certificate, and we became official um, parents for, you know, and we changed his name, uh, you know, many reasons. He was named not for his father, but his, her current boyfriend that she broke up with. And secondly, all our kids are names starts with E, and we don't want him to be Roger, right? <laughs> That'd be kind of like not right. So we changed his name to Ethan uh, Valley and Chin, and uh, he's been in our home since then. And so people are like, wow, they hear this story, they're amazed, and they're like compassionate. They're like, so he was, he was an orphan, and they're really hearts towards him. But, you know, for him, like, he was, he's been with us since he was eight days old, so he has no idea, right? So don't have really that kind of compassion for him, right? <laughs> Because for him, like, he was really, like, have compassion for me, right? <laughs> right, Jeremy, where's Jeremy? Have compassion for Jeremy and Michelle, not for the kid. Because it's hard it's being parents. That's the hard part. Like, for Ethan, it was like, you know, he's got, like, Spider-Man lunchbox. He's got Pokemon <laughs> toys. He's got a bed. He's got three square meals. I mean, for him, he hasn't experienced uh, the drama that we experienced. And God was good to him, protecting him in that way. Um, and so, like, that is a, a little bit of how, how I got involved, uh, and Bob as well, and several of us are involved in this whole James 127, and we're, we're discovering that this wasn't our work. You know, it wasn't my decision. It wasn't Surin's decision. It was the Spirit of God working in our hearts. The Spirit of God has one agenda, and that's to make us more like God, make us more like God's Son, uh, we had the image of God in Eden, but our progenitors, Adam and Eve, they lost that. They lost that image of God. They lost that relationship with God by sin. And on another tree, and the tree of Garden of Eden was lost, but the second tree of Calvary, that was restored. And through that tree of Calvary, God sent his son, uh, and God sent the spirit to us to make us more like the father. And so as he... Uh, transforms the inner man and makes us more like the Father. It's not an exterior work, it's an interior work. It's a spiritual work, and we become more like God. And, and who is God? God, the Bible reveals to us the heart of God. And that is why believers, Christians, have hearts for those who are suffering and dying, who are orphans and widows. Why? Because that's a spirit's work. God is making us loving, merciful, compassionate people because that is, how, that is the heart of God. That is who God is. Um, the Bible reveals the heart of God. William Horner said this, the God who seeks the lost has a special concern for the down and out, for the weak and the helpless. The God revealed in Jesus is a God who is concerned with the poor, those held in hostage, the blind, and those who are oppressed. From the prophets of the Old Testament to Jesus, the love of God is portrayed as having a particular concern for orphans and widows, the poor and the oppressed, the despised and outcast groups of society. Uh, we find that God has a special heart for orphans. Exodus 22, 20, Exodus 22, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, 
I will surely hear their cry. Exodus 10, 18. Let's just consider and listen to these verses. Exodus 10, 18. He executes, God himself executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. Psalm 10, 4. God is the helper of the fatherless. Psalm 10, verse 17. The Lord does justice to the fatherless. Psalm 68.5, he is a father to the fatherless. He is the protector of widows, is God in his holy mountain. Psalm 146.9, he upholds the widow and the fatherless. Um, uh, Hosea 14.3, in you the orphan finds mercy. And James 1.27, uh, religion that is pure, undefiled before our God is to care for orphans and widows in their distress. In God's, in God's heart, in God's view, orphans are precious to him. They are special. They are important. In the eyes of the world, they are not special. They are not important. Uh, something's wrong with them. They're like uh, merchandise that's been returned. They're refurbished or, or used, or used cars. I, I, you know, both our parents were so against us doing this foster, adopt, uh, fostering and adopting uh, children. Our parents were uh, so angry. And my parents, they've been trained very well. They know I don't really, I honor them, but I don't listen to them. Right? I, 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 I love them, I honor them, but I'm a husband and a father, and I have my own household. I love them, I honor them, but I don't obey them. They don't have authority over me in terms of my life and, and my family. And I tell them, Dad, did you listen to Grandpa about how he going to... He said, no way. Well, exactly, right? <laughs> I have to leave and cleave. I left, Genesis 2.24, just like you left, Grandma and Grandpa, and started your own life. Likewise, that's what God has called me to do. And so, I mean, they were so against it. Uh, after they saw Ethan and held him, I mean, they, their hearts melted. They saw it was beautiful. But through the process, they were worried, like these kids, something's wrong with kids, whether they're orphans here or throughout the world. And I had to tell them, no, nothing's wrong with them. Right? Their parents made mistakes. Their parents sinned. Their parents... Uh, did wrong, but not with these children. These children are precious in the sight of God. They're not, they're not uh, second-rated whatsoever. They are precious in God's sight and the sight of God's people. Um, God has always had a special concern for uh, orphans and widows. Now, after seeing a video like this, after even hearing up to this, this portion of Scripture, all of us are like, man... This is a great thing. This is a good thing. What am I? Why not me? What's wrong with me? My heart, I, I need to follow Christ. If we want to jump in, and we ought not do that. That's, that can be a, a dangerous thing if you just, uh, without, without care for your own souls, without humility and your presumptuousness, jump in uh, to care for orphans and widows uh, because you think, you believe this is the right thing to do. Um, I'm reminded, maybe a good 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 time for an illustration or a story here. I'm reminded of uh, my um, bachelor 
party 14 years ago. Bunch of you guys, Ruben was there, Phil, a bunch of you guys are here still with us. They, you know, we're Christians, I'm a pastor, we're going to do something really, you know, like, we're not going to do anything wrong or sinful. So they took me on a a river rafting trip uh, in Kern River, like overnight trip, and it was just magic. It was just (laughs) sweet. It was beautiful. We stayed up all night playing with fire. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, we drank, like, you know, we didn't drink Diet Coke, we drank regular Coke. (laughs) Right? That's how intense we were. That's how radical we were, Right? Um, we had like triple, you know, uh, patty burgers. I mean, we went all out. So we were, the next day we were going river rafting, class four, class five rapids down Curtin River. And we're all pumped up and ready to go. We go on the bus, we go on top of the river. We take that, bu- you know, the, the raft down to the uh, edge of the river. And you can see the rapids. You can see white water. And I'm ready to jump in and start like tackling the white water. And they said, now we're going to have a 30 minute instruction on how to like, you know, do the river rafting. I'm like, oh my, I, you know, you pay for like six hours and that's 30 minutes of my time that I paid for. I'm like, what do you need instruction for? Right? I know how to do this, right? <laughs> you get in a boat, you do this, don't fall in the water. I mean, what's the big deal? We got life vests on, they give us helmets, right? We all had a helmet for Phil, it wouldn't fit, so. <laughs> Phil was being risky, but the rest of us were good to go. And they're like giving us this 30-minute lecture on what to do if you fall in the water. I'm like, oh, I'm not listening. I'm like, just, just can't wait to go in, right? So finally, she's done. We jump in the river rapid. Great day, rafting, class four, class five rapids. And we do it several times. The last run, we tackled this uh, bear run, they called it, I think. And it was class four rapid. And right before the major part, Whitewater, one of our guys, I don't know why, he kind of, it looked like he jumped in the water. But <laughs> if you were there, you're not telling the truth. He just like, here we go, and he slipped in the water for no reason. And so we're not balanced, and I fall in the water. And I'm in the water going towards class four rapids, and I'm thinking, I'm going to get married in two weeks. <laughs> How horrible is this? I, I, I want to get married. I don't want to die now. Right? They were going through the water. They throw a rope. They throw a rope. So I grab it and they pull me. And they told us what to do when you're out of the water and they throw you a rope. And I'm grabbing this rope and I'm like, what did they say? No, no, no. Oh, man. I don't remember because I wasn't listening. And they're pulling me and I'm drinking all this water. Once I got on the boat, they told me, James, you're supposed to turn around. (laughs) When they drag you so that you don't drink the water as you're getting pulled. So I didn't listen. I jumped in. I went without like preparation. So I drank water, right? So the illustration that's for here, right? <laughs> that's, apply that to here. Adoption's great. Caring for orphans and widows. You want to jump in. In your pride, I can do this. I'm godly enough. My marriage is strong enough. I am devoted enough. I can do this. And that's when you just jump in presumptuously, and it could, it could be very difficult for you. Um, Three reasons why um, 
your heart must be filled with Jesus, filled with the gospel, filled with Christ, before you even think about being involved in this ministry. Uh, James 1.27 is not, it's not just practical ministry. You're caring for people. You're caring for human beings. And so you jump in without Christ. Not only is it tough for you, you can hurt people. Right? You can hurt people that God, that are special in the sight of God. The three reasons why gospel must be the center of your heart before even attempt to jump in. First reason is because if you want to care for orphans out of compassion or guilt or feeling or experience, that's that's self-centered. That's man-centered, right? That's not God-honoring. That's not God-centered. It's self-will. You want to do it because it's, so you're trying to serve children because of you. You're doing it for yourself. You're not doing it for for God. You're not doing it for that child, for that widow, or those who are suffering. Really, at the end of the day, it was all about you. It's an exercise in self-exaltation. It's an exercise of of just feeling good about yourself and just to prop up your own righteousness before God and before others. It is... um, It is... uh, Love for yourself, right? And then with that, you're not going to last. You'll be involved in it for a short duration, and you're not going to be in it for the long haul. And that's where you hurt people, right? I definitely had this. I had this idealized, romanticized view of orphans. Right? You see you know, these pictures or testimonies. And then having one in my home, I think Jeremy and Michelle, they're sharing that, right? Like the reality of it. And so I don't have this romanticized view of orphans anymore because I've eaten at home. <laughs> so I know we're all sinners. They're sinners and I'm a sinner. Right? And sinners produce sin. And they aren't this like, you know, Walt Disney version of like adoption where it's happily ever after. No, it is. It is difficult, it is challenging, it is humbling, and if your motivation is yourself, then um, you're gonna become angry, you're gonna despair, you're gonna blame shift, and you're going to um, you know, resign. Uh, and if motivation is yourself, and if you do quote-unquote succeed, then, I mean, you'll just, uh, prop that up as your righteousness. You'll use this ministry or this child as a trophy, your trophy of righteousness. You'll put it on a display case with like a neon lighting for everyone to see, and that'll be your righteousness instead of Jesus Christ on the cross, and in doing that, it'll lead you away from grace. It'll make you a a self, a, a person filled with self rather than a person filled with Christ. So, and Christ will not be able to fill you because you are already uh, full of yourself. Um, it is um, Christ's love must be what compels us. 2 Corinthians 5.14. It must be the love of Christ for us and for others that, ought, that must compel us, not 
not compassion or guilt or, or personal will or desire. Secondly, if you jump in uh, without the gospel, then it will become slowly social gospel. It can become just charity. Uh, Once you enter into this world, you'll be overwhelmed by how great the need is. Definitely internationally, definitely in places like India, but here, even here, you would be just shocked at the endless children that are there who, who, are, who are in need, who are suffering, who are, who are going through just adversity and challenges too great to, to even contemplate in our own minds. And so if your heart is not buffeted with the gospel, it'll just pull you in. It'll just lasso you, your heart, and pull you in and that need will lead you astray from the gospel. And you will make this human work, you'll elevate it above even the work of the gospel. Right? You will forget that Christians, as you know, Piper said, we're concerned about all suffering. But our greatest concern is eternal suffering. We, we're concerned with temporal suffering. But our greater concern is always eternal suffering. We're concerned with both, but there is a priority of eternity over uh, the limited suffering here on earth. But without the gospel in our hearts rooted, uh, it will become a social gospel, and you will, uh, this will become your soapbox, your agenda. This will become your, like, um, Agenda for people and for the church and for the world. And that's, that is the risk that we're taking as a church. We are, that is a risk that the elders and pastors, we are, we are we're cognizant of it. We are concerned. We are trusting in Christ, but we are well aware that there is an irreversible trend throughout church history of good churches, good parachurches, sound denominations, going astray from the gospel and the word of God because of this very thing. They're not lured away from the Bible because of like sin. They're enticed by uh, wickedness and evil. They're lured away from the, the authority and sufficiency of scripture because of good things like hospitals and orphanages and universities. These good things have led them astray as an irreversible trend, and we know that better, more holy churches than us have been lured away, so we are not immune from that threat. At the same time, we are not to separate ourselves and be heartless towards the concern. The answer is each one of us, from the leaders on down, and every minister must have the gospel in our hearts that we have those priorities clear. And that our first and foremost agenda is Christ. And then it's social concern. So when I'm interviewed on a radio program, and I wanna, they ask me to advocate for foster and adoption, my heart, I say yes, but my first advocacy is for the gospel. And then foster care and adoption. Right, so for every minister here, before uh, 
you know, uh, work in India with the slum kids. First, it's the gospel. Before save families, it's the gospel. Before foster adopt, before emancipated youth, it's the gospel. It's the, it's the word of God first, and then social concern. Gospel's in our hearts, and you become, um, you'll become an agent of making our church astray from the word of God. Thirdly, I hope this is not too controversial. Adoption without the gospel or orphan care elevates adoption to a place that is not taught in the Bible. Right? Uh, let me explain this. Um, I was invited by another church to, you know, uh, to speak on this, and it was the, the, the title of the week was Adoption Seminar. And they had all this material about adoption and based on James 1.27. And it was so hard for me. And I had to share with them that the, the call of the scripture is not adoption. I mean, it says to care for orphans. It's to care, not adopt. God's call to you and to me is not to adopt children. And in fact, some people think the epitome of orphan care is adoption. But no, once you adopted a child, that child is no longer an orphan. And so if all you've done is adopt a child, but you're not caring for orphans and widows, you're not faithful to pure and undefiled religion. Does that make sense? At the moment you adopt this child, he or she's not an orphan. And you're not saying, wow, look at how I'm fulfilling this. I'm, I'm feeding, this, feeding my son, right? I'm, I'm you know, putting clothes on my son, and I'm showering my son. Yeah, exactly. You're caring for your son, right? Because one day he'll shower you. <laughs> he'll feed you. He'll change your diapers, right? That's not James 127. Our children, right, if God is good, will honor us and serve us and help us in our need. But not orphans and widows. It's purely one direction. That is why pure and undefiled religion is to care, not adopt. God's command, God's call, the law of Christ is to care and not adopt. We don't want to elevate adoption as like, you know, CO Team 6 of orphan care. And then, oh, all you're doing is bringing a meal, right? That's like, you know, you're like, I don't know, you're um, Boy Scouts. I don't know, Cub Scouts. No, like the, the call, the commission is to care for orphans and widows in their distress. It's the form and function, Right? The form is, there's countless variety of ways to care for orphans. Right? The function is, we are to do this. Right? We are to do this. Every believer, it's, it's, uh, it's the one ministry that is not legalistic. Right? I mean, this is, I believe this is the only time religion, the word is found in the New Testament. And this is, it doesn't defile you. It doesn't corrupt you in any way. It doesn't lead you astray in terms of your relationship with God. God sees it as pure. God sees it as undefiling. Right? Because the nature of this ministry is that there, you don't get anything back. Right? There isn't anything in return for you. It's purely a sacrificial ministry when you care for orphans and care for widows. So God calls upon every believer in some way, to be involved in this ministry. Um, this is God's will for us. 
God's will for you, God's will for me. The word in verse 27, James 1.27, to care is literally episkeptomai, it's to visit. Um, it's the idea of, of not just dropping by for a chat, but caring for them, exercising oversight, helping them in whatever way that is needed. The, the, the root word episkopos, episcopalian, it's, the English word is overseer. It's a word for an elder. Right? So every believer is called to be an elder, overseer for an orphan or a widow. You know, it's always the work of an elder. We are concerned for the church. Our heart is burdened for the flock. Our hearts are tied with people and their spiritual needs, their practical, physical needs as well. We're always thinking and meditating and praying for the people of, the, of, of our church. That is the believer's heart towards orphans. You are to be their overseers. This exhibits true, true, true religion. Each believer is called to care because they are in their distress. Uh, orphans and widows experience distress. The word meaning is uh, pressure. Right? They're squeezed. They have, they're, in, they're in trouble. They have burdens. And they have these great burdens um, primarily because they have no one to care for them. Widow is without her husband. Orphans are without parents. And so there's this gap. There is this void. And it's the believer's privilege to fill that gap. We are to uh, represent Christ the father to the fatherless, the protector of the widow, and be his hands and feet and provide practical, relational, emotional, spiritual care to display the love of Christ. We are called to come alongside them and lighten that burden a little bit. Right? Help lift that burden for them. Help relieve that pressure. Right? Help ease their worry and their anxiety. And the motivation again, this is pure and undefiled religion before God the Father. We do this because God is pleased by this ministry. We care for orphans. There are multiple reasons, like whether it's Angelina Jolie or, or Madonna adopting kids. It's, it's good work. But no matter how good it is, they're not doing it to please the Father. They're not doing it to uh, glorify God and the cross. Believers, our heart motivation is because this is beautiful in the sight of God. Um, we care for orphans, not for our own glory, but for the glory of God. Therefore, the question is, beyond why not me? The question is, uh, what's in my heart? Is my heart, uh, is my ambition in my life 
in the short time that I have on the earth. I'm a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow. I'm a vapor in the wind, right? I am here for the short time. Is my ambition the glory of God? Is my ambition pleasing the Father? Is my heart desire bring honor, bring honor to his name? Is my heart cry to be like my father who adopted me, who cared for me while I was an orphan? Is that the cry of my heart? That is the essential question. And that is the ground from which God honoring care for orphans and widows, uh, where, it, where it grows and flourishes. And through this, um, the beautiful thing is it becomes a platform for the gospel. I can't tell you, um, you could probably ask Bob and Sophie, you can ask so many couples who've adopted, when people find out, like, even like your, your waiters, waitresses, right, people in the grocery line, your relatives, they find out and they hear this story, even the most hardened unbelievers, the hearts melt at this. And uh, it becomes a platform for the gospel. I had my uncle live with us, uh, stay with us for like a few days. My uncle was one of those guys, you know, Korean guy, vice president of, of you know, Pohang Steel, that's the you know, US Steel, that's a Korean steel company. Very successful, very hardened towards Christ. Just, you know, just, you know, just sinful through and through. And he was at our house and he was holding Ethan and he said, James, this is such a beautiful thing you are doing. Like, what motivated you to do this? And I was able to share the gospel. And this time, he wasn't antagonistic. He, was, he didn't brush me off. His heart was hope open because he was holding a child who was an orphan, brought into our family in his own arms, and opened the way for the gospel his heart. That's Matthew 5, 16, and that's 1 Peter 2, 12. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify God who is in heaven. So, you know, when, we, when you fast, don't tell people you're fasting. When you're praying, you know, don't, make it a, don't put it on Facebook, I'm praying in my closet. <laughs> right? Minute 47 now, right? I, you know, I, those acts of righteousness between you and the Father, but acts of love, you are to announce it to the world to see. Right? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. Right? That is why we highlight James 127 ministry. Right? Because we want people to see it and glorify God. By believers glorifying God, unbelievers becoming believers. Right? When we give to people who are, uh, who are, been, who are suffering because of tsunami, we want to highlight it, put it on Facebook, how much we are giving to victims of tsunami in Japan. Why? Not for our glory. No way. That they might see this and give glory to God in heaven. This is different. First Peter 2.12, right? They may see your good deeds and glorify God. So good deeds like this, we are too. And every opportunity, put it out there, right? It's false humility to hide it. Like, oh, we're so humble. I'm not going to tell anyone about safe families. I'm not going to tell anyone about what we, we did as foster parents. I'm not going to tell anyone how I'm caring for emancipated youth. That's false humility. True humility is I want everyone to know that with this platform, I want to preach Christ because that is my ambition because nothing glorifies God more than the gospel of Jesus.
Final point. I appreciate what Jeremy shared this morning. The first thing he shared. It's hard. Because at one point, we want to be advocates for orphan care. Right? Um, at the same time, when we're in it, it's so hard. So we, we want to kind of like just share the good parts. We don't want to discourage anyone, like dissuade anyone from, from uh, caring for orphans. But that's the reality. The most difficult, humiliating, heartbreaking thing Sir and I have ever done in our lives is, is that five-year-old boy at our home, right? It's the most, been the most difficult thing. We've suffered... Sir and I have fought more because of Ethan than all our kids combined. It has affected our marriage. It has affected every part of my life, Sir's life. It's been the most difficult thing uh, that we've ever done. And uh, when people come up, you know, it used to be like, oh, you're pregnant, that's so good. I'm so happy for you guys. Now after five kids, you're pregnant, Oh, my condolences. <laughs> oh, man, it's going to be so hard. You know, live right now. Like, have fun. Enjoy life because once that kid comes, life is over. Like, that's part of my heart. Um, is that okay to share? Maybe I shouldn't have shared that. Um, so when I hear about people, like, saying, oh, we're going to become foster parents. We signed up for safe families. It's a part of my heart. Wow, like, it's going to be difficult. But... What we're seeing another side of it more and more, that it is through suffering we become more like Christ. That through suffering you go to the valley and the sweetest fruits of the gospel are found there. For Sir and I, it's been the most difficult thing in our lives, but because of that, the gospel is so sweet. The Spirit is working in our lives, humbling us. There is a greater longing for heaven and being with Christ. There is a greater distaste for this world. This has helped us grow in the gospel more than anything in this world. That is why Paul was able to say to Timothy, his beloved son, suffer with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Suffer with me. And that is what Jeremy is doing. That's what James 127 is doing. That's what the elders are doing. We're not saying this is Disneyland, you know, Disney happily ever after. No, it's suffering. Suffer with us. Because as you suffer, you'll experience this fellowship with Christ in a way that you can't from the sidelines. And you will. You will experience the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, love of God, and you will glorify God all the more in your hearts. And that is the call that God has given to us. God calls us because he wants us to be more like him. He wants us to be more near to him. He wants us to be less worldly, be less friends of this world, and be much more friends of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for revealing to us through your scriptures uh, your heart. You've uh, revealed that heart to us that we might know your motivation behind our adoption. You adopted us because of your love for us. It is uh, a truth that's unfathomable.
truth that's, that we cannot even in a small way understand why and how you could, you would and how you could love us. And yet the cross is a, it's a loud declaration of your great abiding love for us. And you tell us that your heart goes beyond just us. Your heart is with the orphans, is with widows. Your eyes are upon them. and They are special to you. They are important to you. They are unimportant to the world, but to you, Lord, you care for them. So Lord, you call us. You uh, send us. Lord, as Matthew 9.36 tells us, that the key preparation for the mission field is prayer. Gospel praying, praying for the Holy Spirit. So we pray for you this day. Fill us with your love. Fill us with your spirit, with your grace, with your love and mercy so that we would be uh, men and women who rightly uh, and faithfully uh, represent you to the people that you care for. We thank you for our James 127 ministry. We thank you for each servant, each minister that's serving in so many different ways. Would your eyes be upon them? Strengthen them. Lord, even in the midst of just their weaknesses, their failings, all of us, Lord, would you encourage them? Let them know that you love them. That they are beautiful in your eyes, not because of what they've done or they haven't done, but because of Christ. And may it spur them on to continue to be faithful unto you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.